the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation, with nationally known gerontologist Carol Zerniel and award-winning veteran broadcaster Ron Aaron. This program provides health, wellness, and other information for caregivers who are vital to the health and well-being of so many people across our country. And now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zerniel. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on Caregiver SOS On Air. The award-winning Caregiver SOS On Air is available not only over the air on a radio station that may be near you, but on podcast as well, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Carol Zerniel, is joining us. She's a nationally recognized gerontologist, named one of the nation's top 50 influencers in aging by Next Avenue the journalism arm of the public broadcasting system. Carol holds a master's degree in social gerontology, and she's been in the field of aging for over 30 years. She serves as executive director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. And Carol, we've got a great topic today. And of course, you have had a lot of experience as both an in-person and long-distance caregiver for family members as well. And we'll be talking about uh, the experience that Annette Wick had caring for her mom. Well, you know, Every experience is very different and very similar all at the same time. But the way that we approach our caregiving situations, I mean, that, that's, that's golden. Um, and so pleased to have Annette uh, join us on the show today. Annette is a writer, teacher, and the author of two memoirs. I'll be in the car and I'll have some of yours. She's a featured speaker at caregiving and writing conferences. Originally from northern Ohio, like me, Wick is a second-generation Italian-American with family hailing from Calabria and Abruzzo. She earned a computer science degree from the University of Akron and worked in technology for many years before turning her attention to writing. Her work explores the intersection of family, technology, and caregiving, and she is passionate about using her writing to help others. And Annette Wick, thanks so much for joining us on Caregiver SOS On Air. Good to see you. Thank you for having me here today. I really appreciate it. Share with us the the story of how you became caregiver for your mom. Wow, sure. I'll start with, um, I grew up in a family of five um, total children, And uh, my parents were living in Northern Ohio. I was living in Southern Ohio in Cincinnati, where I'm at today. And um, my father and mother were actually the same age. They were only a week apart, uh, born a week apart. Hmm. And um, over time, um, we started to notice the things that you start to notice about your parents, Um, not just the slowing down, but the ability to comprehend a situation, the ability to react to a situation. And um, so having some background as a caregiver, I was um, my first husband's caregiver when he was undergoing a bone marrow transplant and he subsequently died um, following that. So I knew a little bit enough about caregiving, I guess, to be the chosen one, if you want to call it that. 
And I was the one at some point just taking the lead and asking the questions that I felt needed to be asked, um, trying to make things happen. Even though I was living out of town, I had some siblings who lived closer to my parents. And at, at a certain point, we were really just cobbling together a solution. And, um, to help them stay in their family home, which is what my dad would have preferred to have done, and to help them move through, whether it was changing um, providers or, um, you know, making healthcare decisions that they just weren't sure about. Um, it was just, a, it was a group effort for a long time until we had to make a decision over who was really going to oversee mom and dad's care. And- I love in the prologue to your book, where you talk about uh, your mom and how uh, you'd be eating something and you'd offer to make it for her. And in the end, she'd say, well, I'll just have some of yours. <laughs> it is. I think it was a family family mantra. And um, now my husband and I say it all the time. And I think a lot of women, when they're out to dine with their partners and they'll say, well, I'm really not that hungry, but I'll just have some of yours. So It's a pretty popular phrase that we don't realize that we're saying all the time. But when I was thinking about what title to give this book, that one seemed obvious um, because there was that sense of I was really starting to share in her life and she was sharing in my life. And we at times it felt like we were one person. And I think that's really important as a caregiver to remember who you're advocating for and um, who you're advocating on behalf of. And you have to be able to set aside your own needs. And certainly, I think as children caregiving for parents, we have to be able to set aside our regrets and things that we did or didn't make happen before our parents maybe got too far along with their physical health where we couldn't make those things happen. And it, it's the I think it's the it's a delicate dance. It's a delicate dance. And we'll dance a little more with Annette Wick before I, I let me take a moment and let folks know who just joined us. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air. I'm Ron Aaron. Carol Zerniel, our co-host, is here and we're talking with Annette Wick about her experiences caregiving and how she has gone on to write about it, talk about it and uh, try to help others who are in that situation. Carol. Well, Annette, you said something that really resonated with me that I think is important when you you talked about cobbling together um, this care. And I think so many caregivers listening are in that stage of cobbling things together. But what I heard you say was that you as a family came together at some point and said, this is not enough, you know, or, or maybe it was you personally. We needed to have a dedicated point person, a plan we can't just like throw the balls in the air and hope they're going to land anymore. Right. Ironically, I grew up in a shoe store family. So the use of cobbling together was um, just a Freudian slip, but um, also not really. <laughs> and but really just important to have a plan. You know, we started off with, if you're familiar with, they call them the vial of life. And it's the healthcare form that you put together that details all of your parents' statistics, if you will, you know, what surgery they had, who their doctors were, et cetera. And then the the vial of life is a place somewhere where EMS might have an opportunity to see it should they happen to to need to, to have access to that information. And once you go down that path, you start recognizing that um, there are needs 
and um, there are opportunities to help. And I'm a planner and um, some siblings in my family were not. And that might have to do with the fact that I had four children at the time living in the house. And um, so we were running a busy household as it was. And if I were going to be there to help out, which I absolutely wanted to do, um, I would have to drive four hours from Cincinnati to Cleveland most of the time in order to make something happen. So it became obvious at a certain point that to have that sort of oversight that was going to be necessary. We, one person needed to be that, that designated person. And my dad actually um, made the decision that he was ready to move to Cincinnati and um, allow me or gift me the opportunity to be um, their caregiver. Somewhere in the, the middle of all of that, he had also been diagnosed with Parkinson's and I believe that he had a sense of his own ending coming before my mom's um, as she progressed further into her dementia. So it made, I think he looked at it as who would most likely um, take care of mom um, to the best of their abilities and probably also not infuriate my mom. But that doesn't mean I didn't infuriate my mom at times, too. <laughs> yeah, but you won the lottery and they came to Cincinnati. <laughs> I won the lottery. They came to Cincinnati. And unfortunately, my father passed away um, eight, nine months after their move. So we really didn't have that opportunity to. um, Again, you know, I have I have some regrets around that. And I think I took some of those regrets and channeled them into, you know, how could I do best for my mom in this situation? And um, it took a lot of. you know, caregiving for somebody who had cancer, as I did with my first husband versus caregiving for somebody who is your parent, who raised you, who bathed you. They know all of your private parts. They know all of your all your dirty little secrets. And then some um, it's a lot different. It's a lot different than taking on a res- that responsibility. How did you adjust to it? My personality, I tend to just dive right in. So I'm not sure there really was an adjustment period. Um, after they moved and, again, required uh, setting up uh, caregivers and healthcare providers now in a new city. And so I was busy with those appointments, as well as just ensuring that they had a lot of social engagements, um, whether it be with my family or bringing them back and forth to church. Um, so they they wound up living in a senior living community that was literally five minutes from my house. So that made the adjustment somewhat easier and um, and it made it more palatable for my father, too, because I felt like he knew I was close and that if anything happened, I could be over there in a matter of minutes. Uh, but after he passed away, it was a huge adjustment period because then I really did have to find a place for mom um, because her uh, because of where her dementia had slipped away to she felt like we felt like she she definitely needed oversight could not live on her own could not live in assisted living and um, that adjustment was more difficult it was really more difficult to um you know you feel like you're leaving your parent behind you ha- you carry a lot of guilt no matter what you do so but hey I was raised Italian and Catholic so I'm used to carrying that guilt 
Yeah, you get that from birth. Stay with us just a minute. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel. We're hearing the story from Annette Wick about caring for her dad and her mom and her first husband who passed away after a bone marrow transplant. We're learning about her books and trying to give you an idea of what kind of help is available for you as you become a caregiver. Stick with us here on the award-winning Caregiver SOS on air. Well, thank you so much for listening to Caregiver SOS On Air. We're delighted to have you with us. We come to you every week with a discussion of an issue, a problem, some accomplishments involved in caregiving with more than 60 million caregivers across this country, but most thinking they are the Lone Rangers. We try to bring you the latest information and help that can make that job easier and more manageable. Caregiver SOS On Air takes a look at trends across this country. We provide tips on how to be a better caregiver, and most importantly, where you can go for help. On Caregiver SOS On Air, we try to give you what you need to make that caregiving manageable and to provide you with the help that can make your life easier. I'm Ron Aaron. Carol Zerniel and I are delighted to co-host this program, and we're thrilled you've joined us on the award-winning Caregiver SOS On Air podcast available everywhere, brought to you by WellMed Charitable Foundation. Hello, Thank you so much for sticking with us right here on the award-winning Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel, our co-host, and Annette Wick, our special guest, talking about her experience as a caregiver and how she takes that experience to help others deal with caregiving. The award-winning Caregiver SOS On Air, available wherever you get your podcasts. And Annette, as you were describing the situation involving your parents, the move to Cincinnati where you were living, your dad, who obviously had a premonition that he would predecease your mom, uh, was a wise, wise man, uh, moving both of them to Cincinnati. And there you are caring for your mom. Uh, How did your family adjust to that? Uh, Your kids were older by then. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, You know, my kids, I felt it was most important to just expose them to whatever they whatever they could get exposed to. So they were often helping with my mom. Um, You know, at this point she was living in a care home. Um, So we spent a lot of time with her at her care home. Um, A lot of shuttling her back to my house to uh, for holidays, for birthdays, for, and we, we would just make up Mardi Gras, Fat Tuesdays, um, my mom loved to celebrate. Uh, we always had food and cakes in the house. And so I wanted to keep up that tradition for my mom. And I thought it was important for my kids to have a sense of what it really meant to to care for somebody, even if they were that person was slowly losing their grasp on who you were to them. And, um, you know, I would people always ask, did your mom know you? Did your mom know you? And I'd say, well, she didn't always remember my name, but she knew that she loved me. And um, I think I wanted to just model that for my kids. And how Carol, you're smiling you because you, you went through that as well. Well, yes, both my mother-in-law and my mother had Alzheimer's and my, my mother-in-law never knew my name. But when she would see me, she would say, oh, you're that sweet young thing. Oh. I would say, yes, I am. And she'd say, <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> And so that was always very lovely. Um, it is. It's it's really not 
not everyone who has Alzheimer's and dementia, you know, they have that ability for that recognition, as you both know, but um, it's, it's really a sweet, sweet moment. And I think we all have to just, I lived off the moments, you know, I got high off the moments and that's what, that's what kept me going. That's what motivated me. There would be one special moment and it could last a week because nobody knew if mom was going to be up or down the next day, the next day, the next day. So those moments that they say, oh, I knew that you were that sweet thing um, are really just special. Well, and that that leads to my question, Annette. So you know, you you talked about you you did have regrets along the way, but you also made yourself live in the moment. You created moments. You know, bringing your mom to your house. What would you tell caregivers who are new to this to kind of get on this footing, stop cobbling, and maybe put together you know a life? Of people, we forget sometimes to live while we're caregiving, right? First thing I would tell them is to is the fact that you don't have to do everything all at once. And um, sometimes it might be required if it's an emergency situation, um, but not everything has to happen all in the, the span of a week. And um, some things take time, whether it's uh, settling in, settling in with a new healthcare provider, settling into a new living community. And I, I, that to me was my biggest lesson that I had to learn too, is just to allow, allow my mom to settle in. And because I believe that again, going back to individuals with Alzheimer's and dementia, um, that even though they can't articulate what we would hope that they could articulate, they feel things deeply and um, in a way that, you know, a dog can feel a thunderstorm coming. I, I think those individuals are still feeling everything so deeply. So they recognize our tension, our anger, our aggravation. And um, so one of the things that I had to learn very early on was how not to bring my outside day into her and um, to leave if I was having a bad day, to leave that behind because she might also be having a bad day. And two of us together having a bad day would be a real a, a real tragedy. So um, yeah, recognizing your own disposition before you're about to encounter them, not feeling like you have to do everything all at once. And a big lesson that I tell people when I'm speaking to groups that I learned from caregiving for my husband was just to remember to give more love than you give care. And sometimes you can fuss so much over so many things and really all they want is for you to just sit with them and to be with them and to be present for them. That's a great bumper sticker. Give more love than I you know, give care. I love that. I was just like going to write that down. <laughs> That's, uh, yeah. that. But then, you know, I, I think that the, the, I won't say a trick, but it is sort of a trick because we, we do get in a mindset and a caregiving mindset and whatever can help us see the person in front of us or feel like a person ourselves as opposed to a caregiver, you know, that's really where you stay grounded. Absolutely. And I will say as a writer, somebody trained to be a writer, writing was a tool that I used to maintain my sanity, but also to capture, like we talked about earlier, some of those, um, I call them Polaroid moments and to 
I could capture those moments and remember, oh, that was a good day or that was a bad day. And it helped me even when I was away from my mom to remember who she was or to even go back and write some of the stories of who she was as a young woman, who she was as a a mother to me many, many years before that. So I do believe as far as um, finding ways to be ourselves outside of the caregiver role is really, really important, whether it's exercise, um, expressing ourselves through art. And of course, I facilitate caregiver writing workshops that where we teach people how to use writing to kind of find your way through that whole experience. Talk a little bit about the uh, intersection of family technology and caregiving, uh, which you talk about in your bio. Oh, the te- oh, the intersection between family technology and yes. caregiving. Well, I, I think we have an opportunity, all of us, given the state of technology these days, to really come to rely on technology. Um, one of the things that, of course, was very easy to do was gathering family pictures, gathering family photographs, so that... Every time I went in to see my mom, of course, I visited with her, you know, two or three times a week um, or she came to my house. So there were always family photos, always something that she could recognize, always something within her grasp that she could recognize. But I also discovered that she liked watching um, videos of babies And so a lot of times I might, you know, find a couple YouTube videos where it's it's babies, it might be Huggies commercials or something along those lines. But and then, of course, you know, music, you know, using technology um, to create playlists that I curated for my mom, which mostly consisted of Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin and that whole genre of singers. Um, but a lot of times I'd play Italian music and she spoke Italian many, many years ago when she was, you know, three, four or five years old. So she, she recognized the rhythms of that music. Um, so there's, there's those types of things that when you're present with them, but then there's also, there's so many apps out now that have been created to use, um, with uh, to oversee caregiving, whether it's like um, medicine reminders and and things like that, all the way to, um, you know, like puzzles or playing games on on your laptop and everything with your your loved ones or the people that you're caring for to help them kind of maintain a a strong brain. Um, So really doing your research into what kinds of technology might be available to help you with your caregiving duties, but also help you um, entertain your loved one too. Yeah, I think that's a that's a great idea. You're making me realize how far we have come um, from some of the dark ages when I started. Uh, you know, there <laughs> you can find other people who are caregivers. We have online support groups, you know, the whole idea of playing music. And so, you know, picking up a book like uh, one of your books, so that people know um, that there is joy and love and positive aspects of caregiving along with the mechanics that we all go through. Yeah, absolutely. When you think back to uh, your caregiving days, Annette, what surprises you about you? What surprises me about me? I will tell you something that I found that when I was with my mom, probably within the last year or so, um, because there's that whole arc of really acceptance 
and learning to be present and whatnot. And um, I felt so grounded whenever I visited with my mom and so in the present moment that I would leave her care home. And it's as if I attended a yoga session or meditation or, or some like higher plane. And I miss that time because I learned how to let go, as I mentioned earlier, of the outside world and really be focused and present on what was happening within my mom's world, um, which was very different from my own. So I that surprised me years later that I would still feel like I missed those caregiving days because of what they offered to me. But I will also say um, another outgrowth of that learning was that I felt that I, I, as much as I had, I had walked with my husband through his death. Um, I had walked with my dad through his death, but there was something about my mother's vulnerability because she couldn't speak for herself that, um, that made it just all the more uh, fragile. And so therefore I always felt like she just was becoming closer to this state of humanity that we all really want to touch in our lives. That's beautiful. Annette, we are flat out of time. How do folks get a hold of your books? They can check out my website, AnnetteJWick.com. They can look for I'll Be in the Car and I'll have some of yours on Amazon. And it's I have an audio book. I have Kindle books. And I'm also doing uh, teaching some caregiver writing workshops that are virtual. So you can always log on to one of those, too. Cool. Thank you. Appreciate it. For Carol Zorniel and Annette Wick, I'm Ron Aaron. Thank you so much for joining us on Caregiver SOS On Air. Executive producers for Caregiver SOS On Air are Carol Zerniel and Ron Aaron. Our associate producer is Christy Romero. I'm Ron Aaron. We'll see you next week on Caregiver SOS On Air. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS On Air, an exclusive presentation of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. We welcome emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. Join co-hosts Carol Zerniel and Ron Aaron next week for more on caregiving, improving the health and well-being of caregivers and their care recipients everywhere. For more on caregiving and podcasts of our programs, visit caregiversos.org. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.